You're listening to I Am Gaima, a podcast. My journey thus far has been pretty amazing. My post-corporate American life involves entrepreneurship, traveling through Africa, and sharing real moments with amazing creatives throughout the world. Expect to hear intimate thoughts and conversations that I hope will build a bridge between African diasporans and allies listening far and near. I introduce you to people as you're famous. He, you just don't know it yet. No, I, I appreciate I do. that. I appreciate that. Um, I know recently you've seen some su- success around um, acknowledgement of your ability um, to not only capture imagery, if you will, or footage, yada, 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 but you're able to present it in a way that's compelling and engaging. Yes. And you've won the Grammy of Photography Awards for your recent um what would you it, even call that? It's it's PDN your, your for the ex- district news. Mm-hmm. Um, I won the PDN face contest. Okay. Um, Running up, um, you have three grand winner, grand prize winners, um, and that were mentioned, yeah. That were mentioned, and I came in second place behind the grand winner in the personal body of work. Um, but anyone who's listening to this podcast will know that PDN photo contests are not anything lightly and it's not something easily to achieve mm. so I rest my case right there okay. according to my good friend Wiki Time Magazine has described PDN's annual list of 30 new and emerging photographers as a go-to outlet to discover up-and-coming photographers. It's determined on the basis of their creativity, versatility, and distinctive vision. And for some, it's definitely a career turning point. To win a contest that's hosted by PDN, it's a big deal, and Demetrius should definitely be proud. I don't want anyone listening to assume. So, can you share? Where are you from? Why do you sound like that? What's going on? Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I am from Kingston, Jamaica. Kingston, Jamaica. Uh, I'm from <laughs> the Rainy Park, Kingston 20. So, anybody out there listening from the Rainy Park, big up in SF. Um, I know that's right. Big up in SF. And, um, See, that sounds like Big Up Unasef, <laughs> which is Creole from Sierra Leone. But I'm not, I'm not going to talk about how we related yet. I'm not going to talk about that yet. We're going right. to get hey, to it. If, if those who know their roots and history, we always know that Africa is the foundation of our foundation. Amen. Um, and, and, and I keep it as that. Amen. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Amen. It is what it is. Keep it simple. That's what's up. So, Kingston, Jamaica. All yeah. the, you know, the details, yada, yada. So, I'm sure somebody's listening like, hey, well, you know. So, how do you go from Kingston, Jamaica to 
<sighs> we'll call it New York, New Jersey, because I know you and I are both currently back and forth between the two. Um, well, when we left Jimmy, well, well uh, my mom, my dad was a top chef in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And he used to cook for the railers. He used to cook for some of the big top um, musicians. Oh, um, um, as in Bob Marley and Bob his... Bob Marley and the railers and... He used to have this spot that he cooked in. And then he migrated and moved to Tennessee. Okay. I think he was over by Nashville. And um, and then he was from the, I, I would say that's like the Midwest. Yeah, Tennessee. it is. Yeah. Absolutely. The Midwest. And then he came to, I think, I want to say Florida, but I think he went straight to Jersey and New York and worked. Um, but I was being raised by my auntie mm-hmm. in Jamaica because we, we we were, I was the only child that was born in town while the rest of my family members are born in, in country. Um, so I used to live in a place called Harborview. Mm-hmm. I don't know really much about Harborview, but then we moved from Harborview to Derene Park and I was living with my auntie. My auntie was homeschooling me. And from there, my mom sent for me. Mm-hmm. And I ended up coming to the States. And I would come to the States and visit um, here and there throughout the years. So and you then, would, like, uh, you lived there and you would come here, like, for a summer vacation. Summer vacation. And okay. And then sooner or later, I got the permanent kick to come here. But I left Jamaica. I lived in Miami. Um, my brother lived in Miami, stayed with him, and then boomed to Jersey. Wow. So you were in Miami and you left well, that I goodness no, I, for... I had no choice because, uh, you know, your, your parents, you know what I mean, were your mom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I was still underage. I wasn't, okay. I wasn't above 18 or anything yet, so... Okay, that wherever, makes sense. Wherever the moms call you to go, you go. Facts, facts, <laughs> facts, facts, <laughs> no, facts. Absolutely. There's no debating the, the situation. Okay, so, so New Jersey, how was that? You know, coming from um, an an environment where, and I guess correct me if I'm wrong, because one place I have yet to travel to is Jamaica, but that's soon going to change. Um, but I guess when I think of Jamaica, I think of blackness. I know that it's diverse because I actually think I had personally like. Um, I, I assumed that everybody in Jamaica was chocolate or no more than like light complected and had locks. We're all Rastafarians, if you will, and listen to reggae all day or just dance hall. And that's about it. And um, I know I had met um, a young lady a few years back when I was actually traveling. I was in Atlanta. And she was like, I'm Jamaican and da da da. And I looked at her shocked because she was so light complected that I thought she was just, um, I thought she was Puerto Rican. My idea of, I guess, a typical Puerto Rican. <laughs> Very light complected, um, long curly hair. That's what we call coolies. What's coolies? Yeah, we call. Uh, what does that mean? So coolies are pretty much white people. Or if you're super, super light, light, light skin, that like you can 
penetrate to be white. So like passing. We will call the coolies. Okay. Um, like the the Spanish call white people uh, gringos. Gringos. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean. Um, all right. Believe it or not. Mm-hmm. My father's side of people. Mm-hmm. Very light-skinned people. I I mean I believe it. Very light-skinned people. Okay. My I heard our last name originates from. Um, uh, Poland. Is it Poland? I think it's Poland. Okay. Um, the last name is Philip. It's Philip, yeah. And um, there was a lot of, you know, mix going on with the, the Polish. And so we have a lot of light skin. Light, 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 light. Like even some of them, they look so light that it's almost like somebody sprayed them with yellow mm. from the whiteness to create some type of pigmentation. Wow. <laughs> it, it's very interesting. So so within your own family dynamic, it, it the spectrum ranges from, you know, light-skinned, could be mistaken for white skin. Yeah, on my father's side. Down to chocolate. Yeah, on my father's side. Mm-hmm. On my mom's side, dark richness. Maybe just dark and rich. Okay. Um, what was colorism like? Well, colorism, you know... And did that, and I guess to come back to my original question, you know, did that follow here, or was that something experienced not, here? To be honest, I, I never, I, you know, I don't know what colorism was until probably a few years ago. Really? Because growing up, growing up in Jamaica, coming to the States, mm-hmm. I never knew what racism was until when I went to college in 2006 first university I went to was in Delaware that's when I experienced racism really classism um so I never knew what it was until really when I turned 17 and I went to college because I went to college at 17 I did too um well you know so racism was something that was not a part of your childhood really until you came to the U.S. and went to school. Tell me about the first time that you had that experience and, and how how do you feel that impacted you? Man, the first time, um, so I went to, hmm, I went to high school in Jersey. Franklin High School, and I was an athlete. And hmm, what sport? I did um, soccer. Of course. Bowling. <laughs> golf. Wow. Really? Yeah. And then I was also on the um, guitar ensemble. I played guitar for five years. You played guitar for yeah. five years? Classical music. What? Who are you? <laughs> I've never... What? <laughs> There's a lot, you know. Open wow. Um, but I did that to keep me out of trouble. You got to understand, the neighborhood I, I reside in mm-hmm. was a very, very troubled neighborhood because it was either you was trying to get forced into gang mm-hmm. or you would get caught up 
in the crowds that you didn't need to be in. Okay. And my mom was a single parent, so we tried to, you know, we tried to keep less stress. <laughs> so you say we. My brothers, me and my brother. So it's as if you all, like, actively were aware of the uh, shenanigans yeah, and you yeah. did your best to help your mom to manage you? To manage us, yeah, yeah. Wow. without the stress. Because my mom worked. <laughs> it seemed like she worked five jobs, but there was only two. She was hardly home, but I was you being know, the that's, oldest. That's and, a Jamaican stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me, you know. Um, but you know, it 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 it, it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot. And so, you you were the oldest. I'm one of the oldest. Okay, so kind of you felt obligated to help your mom manage the household. Yeah. Oh, you know, gotcha. Yeah, because I had a younger, my younger brother, you know, so I have to, you know, wherever I was going, he had to come with me. Facts. I had to protect him and, and, and things like that. So um, it, it was, you know, trying to do my, my best at a young age because I, I grew up faster sure. and matured to the point where as I got in my early 20s, I needed to actually go back and be a young teenager again. Mm play around, have fun, and, 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 and do that because I missed out a lot growing up. Right. Um, so, but I didn't really, you know, get involved with colorism, racism, mm-hmm. until my first year of college when I went to Delaware, DCAD, so and, even and though, Wilmington. Even though you have um, family members within your you know, immediate or right thereafter, who have various shades of color, of blackness, if you will. Well, I, I didn't know these people. Oh, so you didn't yeah, grow up I, with I, them? No. Okay. You see, my my um, my father was a very interesting person. Um, I didn't really grow up with my father. And when it came time to uh, understand my family on my father's side. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was like taking a brick and rubbing it against another brick and expecting that, uh, you know, the brick was going to provide some form of, nurture. you know, nurture. And it was nothing like that. I had a sister that lived in Queens her entire life and never knew that she lived in Queens. And her picture was always hanging on the mantle in the house. Really? And he would never talk about it. My mom was the one who told me that she was my sister. Wow. Yeah, beautiful, young-looking, light-skinned girl. And I always trying to figure out, who is this girl? That's her, you know? Beautiful picture frame. She had her high school gown on and all this stuff. But never talked about the girl. You know what I mean? Um, hmm. So... so we all have different fathers, different mothers, same father. We all have different fathers, same mother. Um, my family is very huge on my mom's side and my father's side. Okay. But on my father's side of people, they are a lot more light-skinned. But I didn't know these people. Gotcha. Okay. You, you might hear the name, but I don't know these people. Okay. I didn't meet these people till after his death um, is when I, I met these people and put a face with the name. Wow. So I couldn't really you know, uh, associate myself with colorism and racism or what was the 
contrast between having a lot of light skinned friends or white friends. Mm-hmm. I didn't experience that until college. Interesting. So. So experiencing that, uh, not having that as something that's in your back pocket as a ridiculous experience until college. What was the first time like? And the first time was um, I was at Delaware College of Art and Design, mm-hmm. short as DCAD, and I had an instructor there who, for some reason, he never liked the two black kids in his class, which was me and another kid from Long Island. We were the two black photographers in the class. We always photographed black people. And uh, every time it came time for critique critiques, he would always give us the most harsh and degrading critiques. Really? Yeah. And we never could understand why. And the other kids in the classroom were either Indian or white. And um, they would always get better critiques than us. Did what? But mm-hmm. it, it never made any sense to us. Um, then I had another teacher who was a lecturer. He was a, um, she was an a English literature uh, instructor. And I always felt like I was being the, you know, the um, the target, you know, um, until I filed a complaint at the school, and 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 you know I got some people involved about being disrespected and mistreated. Wow. So I left the school. I dropped out. I left this program. You know what I mean? And um, went and worked for two years. And then I put myself back in school and moved to Santa Barbara, California. And when I moved to Santa Barbara, it was all white people. But I had never really felt tension or classism, colorism, racism. I didn't really feel that. You know what I mean? I knew that, yeah, I was different. I was a black one mm-hmm. among other whites. But but they did not they overtly... Didn't, yeah, they didn't really mistreat me or disrespect me like I did in Delaware. Wow. Um, and of course they are older. Probably. Well, some of these kids were my age. Okay. You know, some of them were coming from like, you know, so most of the majority of the kids were having, were coming from wealthy families because the school in Santa Barbara was one of the top five schools in the country. Okay. Um, so you went there, you either had money, partial scholarship, or you did your work was as damn good that you know you you got a shot um and then once i once i got above certain classes i had to prove myself and that's when i started to realize that okay i'm in a class of my own self yeah and then i do have people who don't look at me for because I'm black mm. or don't see me as a threat you know what I mean but then you have others who look at me and they look at me to degrade me or to see if they can break me um interesting. and that was like my second year you know what I mean and that's when relationships with classmates became very very fragile very fragile um, even with a job position, I got offered a job. I knew more information about the job than the managers. 
However, because I'm from Jamaica, I have an accent, I move a certain way and I talk a certain way, I would never get the higher, I would never get that, you know, uh, you know, get evaluated up to, you know, a, a supervisor position. They would always give it to another white person because the white person, if you told them how to speak mm. or if you told them how to, basically if you gave them a command, yeah. they can follow the command. Me. It never really worked that way. I would always saw as the rebellion or uh, the the unique individual. So with that mindset, um, do you think that's one of the reasons why you do so well in the space of photography? Yeah. You create your own. I just do me. Yeah. Because when you try to force things upon me, it never work. Mm. Amen. I don't know. I've witnessed it, gone through it. To the point where it's like you know what uh. so so how did you get into photography oh man how how did this come about so photography believe it found me hmm. it goes back again to Jamaica okay Harborview uh, my mom told me I saw a shooting star and uh, whatever it is that I saw now she's saying it, she thinks it's a shooting star. I, I don't remember anything of this sort. But I was staring up at the sky for a good 10 plus minutes. Mm-hmm. And from there I was told that I got my first disposable camera. For you new people out there who don't know what a disposable camera is, it's a one-time oh use camera. <laughs> oh my gosh, because you know? well technically <laughs> technically it is you can use it multiple times, but once you capture the images on there, like you take them into your local CVS or Walgreens <laughs> or Rite Aid and you get you have to hand over the full camera yeah. because the film is inside 35 millimeter film and that's it that's like it. you're going to get those photos back but you're not getting the camera back nah. because it is disposable that's it the fact that <laughs> people don't there's a whole life of individuals yeah. that may be listening that do not know yeah. what that is yeah. isn't that crazy uh, and you talking about i was like age three four, i recently found getting a disposable camera i recently found one from i don't know i'm sure it was in college but i have not developed it no you should i wonder You'd what's on yeah and then there's a photo inside the office there that I've found too. Yeah. And it's of me taken with one of those. Okay. I was doing a selfie. Oh. Yeah. See? So selfies existed long before IG people. I'm telling you. People don't even know. People <laughs> or Snapchat. don't even know. You know what I mean? But yeah, so shooting star. Yeah, so it's a shooting star. Um, so I was told. And um then I got my own disposable camera and then I'm, I'm taking pictures and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was able to get my first point and shoot camera. Mm-hmm. And then for my point and shoot camera, I got my first film SLR, 35 millimeter. Mm-hmm. It was a Mamota. It only lasted me for three weeks. I had to return it. Why? It just stopped working. Uh-oh. At the time, I didn't really know too much technical about the camera. Okay. Uh, but as I gotten older and mature in the in the medium, I realized it was a shutter. 
that got damaged. Gotcha. Okay. And so I got a cannon. Okay. And I became a cannon fanatic. To this day? To this day. To this day. To this day. Um, you used one during the shoot earlier? Yes, I was shooting with uh, the 70. Yeah. I'd say I looked at your camera setup when all was finally said and done and set up. I was like, this this is what the real deal looks like. Yeah. This is it. I, um, I get it. I get it. You know? So that's... So... So basically, that was kind of like, um, it was a moment, if you will. Yeah, it was a moment. And it wasn't the, just even you, you nah, know, your mom. You know, like, huge. you know, artistically, it's not really something in the family. I think my mom told me one of her brothers or her cousins were interested in music, where they played the violin or the cello. Okay. And I think, and then outside of that, my cousin, her niece, is a, uh, a professional ballet dancer. Oh, wow. Um, so between those two crossings, mm-hmm. I think nothing, no one ever thought of art or photography or film or anything like that to be some form of a life career goal mm-hmm. um, where you can actually earn a living from. It's either be a nurse, doctor, lawyer. Engineer. Engineer. So something. see, that's so interesting. Not even the sports were, were, were considered because at that time those things didn't really fulfill to 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 you know how are you gonna be able to feed a family and, mm-hmm. and this and then the third so it, it was tough because even though I knew I had something mm-hmm. and I was an athlete my whole life so if I didn't make it in sports I knew that I had art but I didn't really understand what I had of course surprisingly and this is going to surprise a lot of people, but I didn't really understand my full potential until I went and did grad school. But before I touched grad school, it was my high school teacher who I met freshman year, and after having her first intro to photography class, Mm -hmm. she pulled me to the side and said, look, I don't care what it is I need to do, but you're going to be taking my class again, and I'm going to mentor you, and I'm going to teach you, and you you will go to school for this because wow. you have something that I haven't seen in a long time. Now, when, when I mean, you, you know, I'm a black kid. I'm hearing this from a white teacher, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, okay, like, lady, I'm, I'm an athlete, man. Like, I'm gonna go play ball. And I, that's all in the back of my mind, you know what I mean? Because being young, being fast, but I was short, but I had talent. Uh, I'm just worried about playing, you know, professional ball. Of course. Um, but something was telling me to listen, listen, listen. So I took her class again, and um, I learned how to load the film correctly, how to develop prints in the dark room, and all these things over the period of three years. Uh, whereas my fourth year college application was turning in, and I was getting partial scholarships and full scholarships to different schools. And um, testing was poor, but I didn't worry about testing because my portfolio overruled the ACT test and and these other exams that you'd have to take. Um, So I got to say big up to Miss Klukies. Um, Every photo book that I create always has her name in my book Um, because without her, trust me, people, I would not be where I am right now. Um, That's real. And it's, it's... 
Sylvia. You know. Um, shout out to her. Shout you know, out, so out shout to, out to her. Um, and then going to school. I mean, because I, the thing I, about it is, you haven't just like she introduced you, but you didn't just do an undergrad that was catered to studying this. You went on and got your master's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the underlying motivator to push you to go into that direction when people are seeing countless countless times where um, photographers are just in the right place at the right time and they, they get picked up and they, you know, so on and so forth and you're like, bruh, really? Um, how, how do you, how, how, how do you decide I'm not just going to do this just because I love it, but I'm going to be a master at it? It's the love and appreciation of the medium. It's, Knowing that there's something more and greater out there than just picking up a camera, a digital camera to say, mm-hmm. and just clicking that shutter and using up all the memory cards you can fill and hoping that you got a shot. Um, it's more about the connection. I've learned in the sense, you know, through art school and psychology, and I have to emphasize on psychology, um, that to be great at what you do, you have to be able to have a conversation with people. You have to be able to treat people like people. Mm-hmm. Treat them with respect and be engaged into what they like. You know? No brag about yourself to them because they could care too kick about you. They want to know if you have some form of sympathy towards mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Once you understand that dialogue, it's not about just picking up some iPhone or picking up a digital camera and just start... It's more to the it's more to the equation, and for me, what it was is that I was able to captivate someone's soul, someone's integrity, someone's personality, someone's face, someone's body language, attitude. Those were, you know, those the, are the, 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 the ignition to the fire. Um, so what would you what would you say? How would you talk, influence, etc. Um, without seeming, you know, super old and condescending, possibly, or I know it all. What would you tell that creative that's coming up, and you know, really wants an opportunity and doesn't know where to start? Man, you better do like all we all we all have done. Some self resilience and go and be somebody's you know, uh second hand. Second hand, I guess that would be the second word. Second set of hands if you, you know. Mm-hmm. Go you know, go clean the toilet bowl mm. and go wash those plates and go run and get coffee. Be their dog. When they say go, you go. What's uh, the, we all go through it. What's the what's the value in that? Because you learn how to be disciplined. You learn how to be appreciative. You learn how to, 
you know, be a part of something, mm -hmm. but nobody knows who you are. Wow, that's key. You know what I mean? You know, but most you people don't know how to do that. But you're a part of something big. You know what I mean? I don't think I don't think they're gonna hear me. I'm gonna repeat it. You know, it's, it's 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 being a part of something, but nobody knows that you exist. You know, what I mean? and I'm gonna tell you what that means. Please tell the people. What that means is that you serve a value purpose on any studio. Right? Yeah, you might clean that toilet bowl for one week. But guess what? Every time they go in that bathroom, it's clean. You might take out the trash. Every time they go to put something in the trash, the trash don't smell. Be proud of that you was doing that. Because if you put the time and effort to make a bathroom spotless mm -hmm. or to not have trash later on, people see that, oh, he's paying attention. Mm. When you get ready to elevate from being a toilet bowl washer or a trash worker, and you start to become, okay, you know, you're going to be the fifth assistant or the sixth assistant on, on set, but you're not getting no money still, but you pay attention, you might replace the fourth assistant and the third assistant. That has happened plenty of times where persons who are assistants who start off from the very low part of uh, um, the very low uh, port and become second assistants because what? They pay attention to the details. Mm. Now you might think this cleaning, you know, is nothing but it's a big deal. People are watching you. People are watching you. So if you can do something that downgrading and make it appreciative, when your time comes to become an assistant, first or second, and people see you work hard, it's all about work ethic. You can do work. If you take pride in what you're doing, when they hire you to do a job to assist, we know that you're gonna take pride in, in, in that. You're not gonna complain, you're not gonna sit on your phone, you're not gonna be distracted, you're gonna be all ears in and eyes on the prize. And that's the biggest thing I've learned, you know? It has nothing to do about race, classism, nothing, because we all have to do it. The only ones that probably don't do it now are those who are born to some of the greatest artists out there. And they don't start at the bottom because mommy or daddy's name mm -hmm. have a hefty toll. And whatever they want, they get because mommy and daddy was uh, Richard Avedon example. Richard Avedon's grandson. I met him at, uh, before in New York City, Ghost Studios, a couple of weeks ago. The guy is worshipped like he is some god, but he's just a regular man who has the last name Avedon. Facts. You know? So, what would you say to encourage somebody who, for example, you know, is really just drawn to their camera but they're, they're, they haven't picked it up because they can't see and feel how that's going to look for them and making that more than just possibly like a side hustle but truly something career um, career based how, how does somebody 
get to that point. Especially that somebody who is young, black, male, and um, <laughs> this is a very, 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 you know, uh, racist society. I would say always remember that the camera is the weapon. Here's Every time camera, you have your camera, your you hold that in front of your eyes, mm -hmm. and you see something, and you click, mm. and you capture it. Okay. Only two things can happen. Either one, you can click the shutter, or two, somebody will take that from you and break it. Wow. Majority of the time, nobody's going to do that break a camera or you just created an iconic image always look at everything from the view of a viewfinder you live your life through a viewfinder if you are very true and passionate about photography your life would change because now you are looking always through a lens you're always looking through the viewfinder through the lens to see how you're going to compose that next shot you live and breathe this thing. Gotcha. You live and breathe this thing. If you're still trying to figure out what it is you're trying to do or achieve, then I think you should go assist, apprentice, schooling. Mm. But you have to be able to develop in yourself and also be out there and not be afraid to capture. An apprentice. So that's something that I think few people are really familiar with what that means, right? So if we do, you know, like a translation for you young folks. Um, an apprentice um, is somebody who basically, right, interning? Yeah, basically interning. Mm -hmm. um, you're never going to get paid. Mm -hmm. And you're going to work like a slave. But it pays off. And either it pays off immediately, um, it pays off with the timeline that the employer has, has offered, maybe it's a short-term pro project, or it pays long-term, depending on your perspective, because the type of things that you witnessed, encounter, um, that are in that space in which you're working, where else can you Get, gain that sort of access, right? Yeah, I mean, it... it but, Demetrius, most people don't want to work. Nah, nah, it's true, it's <laughs> Especially, true. Especially... It's true. You know, if as an apprentice, because the, the chances of funds being there in order to get you to actually do the work and show up on time and these things that we low-key as management... We take for granted that people want to be able to come to work at a certain time. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I when I was interning, I had to you know travel to Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have to be at the studio at four a.m. Mm. And I'm like, oh, four a.m. All right, but I'll be there. Okay. It might be a sixteen-hour day. Wow. But I ain't complaining. You know what I mean? Because you're learning a valuable information. You, I'm not saying everybody, all the, you're gonna have all the answers to your question. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say you're gonna uh, have 
millions of questions sometimes you might show up and you go through the entire day and you don't even know what to start what, what you don't know what question to ask first um, it's overwhelming but you learn you get to learn how to see you learn how to have a conversation you learn how to dictate mm-hmm. you learn how to um, dialogue and, and, and communicate with multiple people because it's not only you and a photographer it's you and stylist, makeup artist uh, wardrobe stylist uh, crazy amount of different people and sometimes you have to talk to a flower what? you know you might be working on a product shoot and you hear the photographer talking to the product like it was a human being wow you know what I mean so I'm not trying to say there's crazy people out there but when you're on that level you're on a different level you're on a different level levels to this shit so basically you're telling me one of the most educational moments that you witnessed was when some, maybe a photographer who you're aware of, that's their story or that's their technique, you were able to see them in their element. And that included communicating their language use, being utilized with a flower. A product shot. Uh, I would use the flower as a metaphor of, of like a chair or... Um, it can be inter- interchanged, but ultimately, yeah, but they're they're having real conversations. Real conversation, like it would be a human being. Wow. You know, um, I do it a lot. What do you think about that? Does it make you more focused? Like, yeah, it does because now you look at details. Gotcha. You start to revolve around the details, and and you don't waste time. Okay. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. And if you see an image, or you're driving or walking, mm-hmm. take it. Don't question yourself. Don't, you know, fiddle around with the camera. Should I not compose and shoot? Um, you, 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 your, your body and your mind and your soul and everything is interacting with that image. It's like a force that's driving you to be that particular artist to capture what's going on at that moment of time. Okay. So yeah, definitely be true to yourself and don't hesitate. So what's next for you? What's next for me? Yeah. Um, let's see. I am getting ready to take a vacation. You keep saying it, and I know you mean it, and I want to go. I want to take a vacation. <laughs> and, um... Yeah. I won't say I where. Show. I won't ask you where. Yeah. I, I won't tell you where either. Um, but I have a... I have a Black, Black History Black, Black History Month show mm-hmm. exhibition coming up in February in San Francisco. Um, I will be one among other artists that will be showing a 
series of different pieces uh, from different bodies of work. Okay. Um, that representing uh, our black brothers and sisters. Um, I also will be working on a book. Ooh. A fine art book. Okay. So you guys are getting a little sneak peek of, of what's to come next year. Um, and I'll be actually beginning ready to locate myself in LA. Um, so it, La Land. There's, a, there's a lot going on for 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but there's a lot of great stuff. 2019. Great stuff on the horizon. So, Demetrius Philip is definitely um, one of my tribe members, um, very dear, and um, definitely a peer mentor uh, in my space. Um, I work with a lot of photographers, and each one of them is very special to me. I have a really really solid relationship, very close to the ones that I work with consistently. And um, Demetrius is one. So grateful that um, he spent some time with us here at the podcast. Of course, before letting him disperse into his world, um, I wanted to get his take on being a diasporan and What does traveling to Africa in the future look like for him, especially as a creative? Some of the latest films out there, movies that we watch, takes five, four four to five years to be produced, you know? So some of the ideas that I have of me going back to Jamaica to start doing, I cannot start it here. Like I have to physically go there and I have to put myself there for six, seven months, then take a break, and then start all over again. Um, and I feel like once I do that, I think I can, you know, grow even more because I'm actually giving back to my people. So it's like before you can even focus on, for example, you know, going to a country on the continent, your vision first has to be fulfilled within what you know where you come from yeah. at first directly which in this case Jamaica yeah I mean it makes so much sense yeah. it makes so much sense and just like me trying to go to Africa and he's like okay I know very little of Africa but then again I don't really have a project in mind yet because like I have to travel there first to get the inspiration and the, the inspiration and mm-hmm. then probably leave Mm. And then come back, you know, or I would have to do where I have a year in advance, mm-hmm. where I'm doing all this research. But even doing all the research is still not the same of being physically there, there. physically there, you know, because um, you know, I don't know. Well, I can tell you from my experience, what you, you what you think is theory, I think is fact. I know it's fact because, um, granted, I, you know, I was born and raised here in the States. Make no question. You know, I don't pretend. And it's not something that I'm ashamed of. Right. Yeah. 
Um, however, I was raised up knowing in a lot of depths, not every single particular corner, but the pillars, et cetera, of what it is to, to come from Africa, specifically Sierra Leone. And the time that I first went was a time that was probably extremely critical. And I think my parents recognized that I needed to go at that time, one, to meet family members who, you know, may not have been around if they would have delayed that trip, right? But two, that was like the time where they start to um, really get into your mind, like embed in your mind as a child what you should think of as far as certain countries. And, you know, during that time period, there was no like African pride, this, that, and the third. So it was one of those things where going at that time, it was such a great impression. I stayed away for a while because of all of the the different issues that took place. Parents wouldn't even allow, but I always was ready to go back. Okay. Right. And so once I finally was able to go back, which was you know, last year slash this year, then it was a matter of um, putting together the idea of what am I gonna, what am I gonna do once I'm out there? What am I gonna see? And what I thought versus reality was so different at first and I was thrown. But then I had the the blessing, the, the opportunity to stay for an extended period of time until my mind got out of that that point of shock and then it was like okay what can I do here because now my life is different I'm in a position where I can affect society in a way True. you know even from my own small little corner like I can do something and like how you're saying you can take your art and capture these moments these people these stories you can tell in a way in which it's so authentic because maybe they're being told but not from the perspective of someone who is from that land yeah you know it's 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 all about you know for me it's you know just paying back paying some form of respect Mm -hmm. to where i'm from giving back mm-hmm. you know uh, the arts is a very big deal in Jamaica mm-hmm. I think now it's becoming more appreciated and, and, and tolerated right before it was like uh, uh, I draw but I'm scared to talk about I draw you know um, do you know that I just had that conversation this evening with our intern here yeah but it's it's the same where me like I was an artist but I could not come out and say I was an artist because I wasn't fully capable of saying that. Mm. You know what I mean? I had, I, you know, I was always photographing landscapes and abstract things. Mm-hmm. But I would never show my mom. See, it's one of those things where when people are like, oh, I don't know, Africa yeah. seems so far, and they're so, I don't know. You know, and I, I meet people from the Caribbean and I see, especially post this trip, mm-hmm. I see Africa 
in so many people's faces. Yeah. And when I say Africa, I don't mean the country. Traveling through eight different countries and, you know, north, south, east, west, and seeing the different faces, the different features, the mm -hmm. different, you know, mannerisms, understanding through conversations, you know, True. The, the cultures and some of the just general practices and what's similar and what's different and yada, yada, yada. I see it in people from the Caribbean so clearly like never before. I see how similar, if not like the same, we really are. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a... It's, uh, it, Africa is speaking to us, through us mm -hmm. every day. Uh, it's like I'm a big person when it comes down to the details. If you can see the details and understand what you're seeing, Africa then you'll, you'll is be okay. speaking to us through us. You know, but until we are able to really fully comprehend what is being spoken to us, mm -hmm. we we will continue to be blind because it's like it's like a it's like growing a tree without roots. Mm. How do you expect the tree to grow? How do you expect the tree to grow? You know? Mm. Or, or it's, it, it, you know, it's... <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know? Uh, I always say, I mean, you, you cannot expect to move forward without history. Mm. How can you? How can you? You can't? You can't. I mean, you can, but you typically will end up failing. You're gonna end up the square one. Yeah. You know? So my thing is that, yeah, we're from Africa. We originate from Africa. Mm -hmm. But yet, yeah, I was raised and born in Jamaica. I have to pay some form of respect and homage to my country and then I can go and do the same to Africa because Africa is the root Jamaica is just a tree you know mm. <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> Africa is the root you know? and Jamaica is just a tree or the flower or whoever you want to call it because without Africa there's no United States there's no Iran, there's no Iraq, there's no Mexico, there's no, there's nothing. I don't think people really understand that concept. You know? <sighs> so, at the end of the day... I disagree so much, all I can do is deep sigh. <laughs> all I can do is deep sigh. Mm. You understand? Because I mean, it's, it's the truth. Oh my gosh. You know, um... Oh, that's the truth. You know what I mean? Amen. I don't know what else to say. Because it's true. I look at that I I look at some of my friends from Jamaica. Mm. Or even just regular Jamaicans that you will meet in Brooklyn and Queens and the Bronx. Especially the Bronx. Oh yeah. And you look at these guys like, yo, you can't see Africa in these guys. Hard, man. Deep. Mm. But they open up their mouth and you hear the accent. And it's just like, yo. He's a straight African in the youth. And he said, Yo, Jamaica, where I come from? Yo, I said, No, yo. If you understand where you're coming from, you will never deny where you're from. 
if you understand where you're coming from, you will never deny where you are from. Amen. Amen. So that would be my homage and respect to our response to, to Africa. Because at the end of the day, what I'm saying is that the pre-visualization of what I have to do or to create images there will come to pass. It might not come tomorrow, next year or the year after, but it will come to pass. Because what? I have to climb the tree. But for you to climb that tree, I have to appreciate the root. Because we go back to the root all the time. So meaning that I would have to leave America, go back to Jamaica, fly back to Africa. Because mm. you're going back to the source. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you have to start at the source now. Because mm. yeah, you can go to Africa, you can do your thing, you can do what you want to do. And then you can fly go to the other country, but to me then that don't really make any sense. Because you haven't really experienced what the root was able to bless you with. Wow. Yo, my don't talk, yo. <laughs> he said, my don't talk, yo. Don't talk, yo. It's too much. I'm not even smoking or sleep uh, or anything. I'm oh, like man. We're not even high. We're not even high. We're not even high. Right. Just high off of the truth. High uh, off of this creative flow. Oh. Oh, trust me, I don't even touch People don't though, even man. understand, like, it's difficult. It's me. a different, it's a different wavelength. Nah, man. Demetrius oh. Philip. Trust me, man. Blessings. I'm not only an artist, but why, when I'm ready, we can speak some, we can speak some words, man. Speak some words, trust me. Uh. You've been listening to I Am Gaima, a podcast. Take a moment to subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Rate and share this podcast with your community. A special thank you to Vicky Cassis, my music producer. I appreciate all of my guests and contributors for helping me to bring this vision to fruition. I love you all. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Blessings.